0: We need to get started. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26, the title of our lesson this morning is An Ordinary Son. An Ordinary uh, Son. Uh, how many of y'all were alive in the 1920s? Anybody here? Hey, we got a couple. Um, yeah, 1920s. Uh, Calvin Coolidge was the 30th president of the United States. I think it was somewhere in the 20s, I'm not sure. Um, and he was known as Silent Cow because of a couple reasons. He was really a very quiet man, he didn't say very much, uh, and he also slept 11 hours a day, so he got this, uh, he got the nickname Silent Cow, and it was said there was a columnist in that day by the name of Dorothy Parker, and when they told her he had died, her response was, well, how do they know? Um... Or how can they tell? Uh, I bring that up because Isaac is, you know, Abraham's son Isaac. Today we're in chapter 26 and we're going to deal, it's a, it's a chapter that's devoted to him. In fact, it's the only chapter in Genesis that is devoted to Isaac. And he was kind of the, the Calvin Coolidge of, of his day. Uh, he was just kind of blah, to be quite honest with you. Uh, he wasn't bold like Abraham. You know, Abraham went after Lot and and, and was bold in that way to, to rescue all the people of Sodom. And Abraham was bold enough to intercede with God. Uh, he's not like his son Jacob, who was very shrewd. Is, uh, not like his grandson Joseph, who was a great leader. It's not really, when you think about Isaac, there's not a whole lot there. Um, you think about maybe his dad... Uh, all, you know, sacrificing him or thinking about sacrificing him on Mount Moriah. But Isaac just really didn't have a whole lot going for him. And so all in all, he's a pretty ordinary guy. And, to, as, and as I said, this chapter is devoted to him. Now, so in this chapter, there's going to be several events that happen to him in his, in his life. But what, when you go through this, what's most striking about these is not what he does... Uh, in fact, what's most striking about these events is how they parallel the events in his dad's life, and he will go through some of the exact same things that his that his father did, and and what you'll notice is is how he responds to them, and in fact, how he responds will show us just how ordinary he was. It was almost like for a long time he doesn't have a thought of his own. Whenever he would run into a choice or whenever he would run into adversity, he would just do what his daddy did. He just kind of fell right. Whatever my daddy did, that's what I'm going to do. And you see this over and over again in this uh, chapter. So you're going to see different parallels between him and his father. So I'll show you the first one. You remember in Abraham, way back in chapter 12, there's a famine, right? And when he comes down in the land of Canaan, there's a famine. And in chapter 12, verse 20, it tells us that in response to that... Abraham went down to uh, Egypt. Everybody remember that months back when we we studied that? Well, believe it or not, the exact same thing happens in the life of Isaac. And what does he do? He does the exact same thing that his daddy did. He just thinks, well, this is what my daddy did when he ran into this, so this is what I will do. Look at verse 1, chapter 26. It says, Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Now, let me stop right there. Do you all remember Abimelech way back? Okay, so there's this question that pops in my mind. Well, is it... Wait a minute now. Abraham is dead, right? He's long dead. Is this the same guy that made a treaty with Abraham those, those years and years ago? Uh, remember Genesis 20, verses 1 and 2. It says, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. When that happened in, in chapter 20, Abraham was 75 years old. Abraham died at 175. So this, is, this happened over 100 plus years ago. So now Isaac comes back to the same place, and guess what? There's an Abimelech there. Well, how can that be? I mean, what what is this guy, some kind of Methuselah? Well, we don't know, right? There's a a couple of possibilities. It could be that Abimelech is still alive, and he was very, very young when he first met Abraham. But that don't sound quite right, because he would have been very young. Sarah would have been 65. I mean, that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. More than likely, this is not the same uh, Abimelech. And there's two explanations for this. One is that the term Abimelech could have been a title, not a, not a proper name. In other words, like Pharaoh, right? Abimelech could have been a, a, been a title. Another explanation could be that sons in those days were often named after their, their grandfathers. And so this could have been the grandson who had the same name as, uh, as his grandfather. So, but more than likely, this is a different Abimelech than the one that made the treaty with Abraham. Now, I put a map up here because I want to kind of show you where Gerar is, and, and, and it's going to become important here in a little bit. So, so Isaac, there's a famine, and he, and he stops at this place called Gerar, which is over on the, on the coastline. Now, while he's there, um, it, I guess he gets this idea, again, my dad went on to Egypt, that's where I'm going to go. Now God comes to him in verse two and says this. And the Lord appeared to him and said, "Do not go down to Egypt." So you can see in his mind, I'm, I'm going to do. My dad went to Egypt. I'm going to go to Egypt. And the Lord appears to him and says, "Don't do that. Uh, dwell in the land of which I shall I shall tell you." Okay. Look at verse three through five. Sojourn in this land. In other words, stay here for a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice, and he kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, to be really honest, how many times have we heard these words? over and over and over and over again. It's almost getting redundant. It's like, okay, God, we know the promise now. You don't need to kind of keep repeating it here. But here's the thing you need to keep in mind. Let's not overlook the fact that even though we've heard them a lot and Abraham heard them a lot, this is more than likely the first time that Isaac has heard them. So for him, this would have been an absolute thrill to know that the promises that God had made to his father, he's now making to him that he gets to inherit those promises. So we might, we might be tired of hearing it, but Abra- uh, Isaac would have been thrilled. Now here's the second parallel that we see. If you'll also remember from our study of previous chapters, Abraham had a fear that he dealt with all his life. Does anybody remember, know, know what that fear was? Remember, he was scared to death of being killed because he had such a good-looking wife. I mean, she must have been a knockout. Because remember, he made a plan before he left Mesopotamia he said, all right, now listen, when we go into these places and we get there, you say you're my sister. And he he didn't just react, he had a plan. And every place he stopped, he would always tell her, say you're my sister, because if you don't, they're going to kill me and take you. So she must have been really, really good. Either she was really good looking or there wasn't a lot to choose from back then. I don't know which one it, it was. So what he did, obviously, is this fear led him to lie. It led him to trust in deception rather than to trust in in God. Remember Genesis 12, okay? When he goes down to Egypt, he says to Sarah, hey, again, say you're my wife so they won't, they won't kill me because of you. Or say you're my sister. Again, in Genesis 20, uh, he comes to Gerar, same land that Isaac is in now, and he said to everybody, hey, she's my sister. Right? So he did this over and over again. Well, guess what? Isaac runs into the exact same situation, and what do you think he did? He does the exact same thing that his daddy did uh, before him. Look at verses 6 and 7. So Isaac settled in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking, they're going to kill me. Right? I mean, that's the same thing as his father, because she was attractive in appearance. Okay, so same thing, he just does the exact same thing. Now, one thing that's different here, again, Abraham had a policy of deception. He had decided before he ever left, started his travels, this is what I'm going to do. We don't see that with Isaac. I think Isaac just kind of got caught off guard and he just panicked, right? They came up to him and said, hey, who's this this lady right here? And oh, that's my sister, you know, because he just, he kind of reacted. But again, he falls into the same things that his uh, father did. Look at verse 8. And when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Okay, they weren't just laughing, all right? It's, the Hebrew word here is the root word of laughing, but it can also, the King James does, uh, translates it as sporting. Uh, the NASV translates it as caressing. In other words, they were doing something you don't do with your sister, right? They were hugging, kissing, kissing whatever they were doing, and Abimelech immediately knew, that ain't his sister, okay, you've lied to me, right? Look at verses 9 and 11. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, that's your wife. How could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, "Whoever touches this man or his wife, shall surely be put to death." Now, so here he is. He's got now. He's now. Everybody knows their wife. And she's settled in right there. Now, remember, in verse two, God had said, "I will tell you where to go, or I want you. I'm going to show you to a land that I'm going to tell you where, where to go." Now, at this point, go back just to look. Um, see when he been there. That's what I want to show you. Verse eight. When he had been there, what? A long time. Okay, so he's settled in. He's not moving. He's, he's all settled in. He's been there for a, uh, for a long time. God has promised to guide him, but at this point, he's settled in. Now, God is going to guide him, and I want you to watch this, but by a large degree, the way God is going to move him, and some of us ought to relate to this, he's going to move him through adversity and opposition. Okay? Okay? You watch this. That's how he's going to move him. How many of you have been moved through adversity? Yeah. Sometimes it just takes God giving us a a quick kick and saying, I need you to get up and go. And, And he has to bring situations into... I mean, we can all should be able to relate to that. So this is how God is going to move him. Now, at first you can't tell this because Isaac really prospers greatly in a very short amount of time. Look at verses 12 and 13. And it says, And Isaac sowed in that land, and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. Now, we saw this with Abraham and Lot. When you get a lot of stuff, you get a lot of problems. Okay? That's just life. I mean, you get wealth, you get problems. They just kind of go hand in hand. Verse 14, He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. So those around him got jealous. So he grows more and more powerful. They're looking at him and thinking, okay, this ain't good, right? He's not a Philistine. He's a stranger. He's an alien. He's getting more and more powerful. Uh, He needs to go. But there seems to be something here that's not just about Isaac. Remember, his daddy had been there before him, and and they kind of had the same issue with him. Look at verse 15. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. So his dad had been there before and had dug a bunch of wells and after Abraham had died, they filled them all in. Okay. Now remember, in that day, digging a well was basically tantamount to establishing ownership of property. If you went, it was an arid land, and if you went to the trouble of digging a well and finding water you were kind of establishing okay I'm going to use this I'm going to use this land. So as soon as Abraham dies they fill them all in and kind of try to just basically wipe out any ownership that he had. Now again think about this for a second a well in that day you don't just pull in a truck and drop down a drill and dig a well. You did it by hand. Okay, I mean it was hard hard work. So to stop up those wells and fill them kind of just shows you how badly and how much they resented Abraham and what he did. Because in that day, again, a well would have been a very, very valuable uh, asset. But they were so intent on wiping out Abraham's ownership and any, any remnant of what, or vestige of his ownership that they just basically took out these valuable assets rather than let it remain. Verses 16 and 17. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there, and he encamped in the valley of Gerar, and he settles there. Now, notice how far he goes. Do you think he went very far? No, he didn't, right? So how do you know? Well, by definition, the valley of Gerar can't be very far from Gerar, right? It's the valley of Gerar. So he didn't go very far. So he moves away from them. By the way, you understand, he must have lived in very close proximity, because Abimelech says he looked out his window, and he saw Isaac. So they're, they're, I mean, they're living in, in some kind of encampment, some kind of area. So he moves away from that, but he doesn't go very far. Now, now why does he, why does he stop there? Well, here's the third parallel. Why will not you watch how far he goes? Verse 18. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names that his father had given him. You see how this boy, he just, he don't have a lot of originality here, does he? Oh, well, here's some wells my daddy dug. I'll just stop right here and we'll dig them out and we'll just call them the same names, right? He just kind of just, he, his daddy has kind of blazed a trail and he's just walking it. That's all he kind of knows to do. No, no originality, just kind of an ordinary guy. And you can kind of see by now, hopefully, that this is kind of his strategy in life. This is, uh, whenever there's adversity, whenever anything comes up, He just reverts back to what his father had done before him. Now, listen, that can be good and bad, right? If you got a good daddy who has really blazed some trails of obedience, that's that's great. But if you not, if you don't, if you have a sinful daddy, and by the way, we all have, none of our dads are perfect. We, you know, we kind of can get led down the wrong uh, wrong way. Here's the fourth parallel. Notice, I want you to see how their their lives parallel also in the way they handle disputes. Remember, obviously, in Genesis 13, when Abraham and Lot uh, had to kind of... their herdsmen were arguing over water rights and grazing rights and things like that. Abraham says to Lot, look, you choose, right? I'll I'll give you the choice, and I preached on that a a few few weeks ago. Well, Isaac, just like his father, has kind of adopted that same uh, strategy and he always gives preference to the other party. Look at verses 19 to 21. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, this would be a new well, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, which means quarrel, because they contended with him. So then he moves, and he dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, so he called its name Sitna, which means enmity so if you look at the map he's in Gerar, he's down on the coast now he moves out a little bit and he uh, he digs a well in this, in this place he calls it Esek. and then that doesn't work out they all are the, the they're arguing over the water so he moves a little further toward the mountains to a place called sitna he digs a well there and and you can see he's kind of moving away a little bit right look at verse 22 and he moved from there and he dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he got far enough away from them, finally, that they didn't quarrel. So he called its name Rehoboth, which means spaciousness, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So you can see Gerar, uh, Esek, Sitna, and now he's at a place called Rehoboth. Now listen, there's no adversity, nobody's quarreling over anything. He's, he's far enough away from them. The Lord, he dug a well, they found water. He's like, go back. For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be what? Fruitful. Now, this he's got to be thinking at this point, okay, this is where I'm going to stay, right? Everything looks really, really good here. Now, I don't think he had realized up to this point what's been happening. You see, the Lord has been moving him along, been moving him away, and he's actually moving him towards somewhere. Now, he doesn't realize that, but God is involved in this. Through providence, God is guiding him. And the, and the main, basically, the main means that God is using is adversity and opposition. Now, when we come to verse 23, we see a change. Okay? It's a very simple verse, but it, it, but it signifies a real change. Look at verse 23. From there, he went up to Beersheba. Okay? From there, he went up to Beersheba. Now, Beersheba is a place we've studied before, and you can kind of see the line. See how he's moving him from Gerar to Etna to Esek to Sitna to Rehoboth, and now he's up to, to Beersheba. Now, the interesting thing about this is that up to this point, all of Isaac's moves, there's a famine, so he goes to Gerar, right? There's. There's a, a, They get all envious of him, and there's quarreling, so he moves to Esek. They quarrel again, he moves to Sitna. They quarrel again, they get to, to Rehoboth. And finally, when there's no more quarreling, it says he moves uh, again. He's finally got what he wants, he's got a well, he's got no quarrels, he's got no adversity, the Lord's going to be fruitful, and then in verse 23, it says he goes to, to Rehoboth. Now, I want to know, why didn't you stay there? What What is it about this that makes you Move on. Why would, you, why would you do that? Well, I'd like to believe, even though the Bible doesn't tell us this, so I don't know this for sure, but I'm going to tell you, what I do know for sure is Rehobo- I mean, uh, um, uh, Beersheba is where God wanted him. I will tell you that for sure, and I'll show you in a minute how we know that. So I'd like to believe that a significant change has occurred in Isaac's thinking. You see, up to this point, circumstances has driven him. Adversity has driven him. Opposition has driven him. But I'd like to think now something more noble, something deeper is moving him to move up to, to Beersheba. Remember, Beersheba is a, is a place of great spiritual significance uh, in his father's life. Genesis 21, 33-34, to 34, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And he called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. When when Abraham and Isaac went to Mount Moriah, and he was going to sacrifice Isaac, we we studied that, right? When he came down off the mountain, where's the first place they went? They went to Beersheba. That's where they went and lived was in Beersheba. So Beersheba is a place of great spiritual significance to Abraham and also to Isaac. And I want to believe that if I look at those red dots, I just want to believe that Isaac, finally it dawned on him that this is where God has taken me, right? It's almost like God he had to just take you to here, then to here, then to here, and finally you're like, oh, <laughs> this is where we've been We've been heading all along, guiding him back to that land of promise, going back to the places where his father had walked in, in fellowship with God. Now, we don't know... Uh, for sure what he was thinking but I can tell you this is exactly where God wanted him to be now here's how we know there's three ways number one we get the witness of God look at verse 24 and the Lord appeared to him what does it say the same night he doesn't wait till he's been there a while the very same night that he, that he, uh, that he arrives there in Beersheba God comes to see him and says I am the God of Abraham your father fear not for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Now, I think this changes Isaac, to be quite honest with you. Look at what he does, verse 25. He builds an altar, he calls upon the name of the Lord, he pitches his tent, and he digs a well. Okay? In that order, which is important. And I want you to notice how that's different from anything he's ever. He's ever done before. You see, previously, Isaac would move somewhere, and what was the first thing he would do? He'd dig a well. See, it was all about the water. It was all about the temporary things. It was all about surviving in this world and living this life. And then if opposition arose, he would just pick up and go to the next place, and what's the first thing he'd do? He'd dig a well. See, it was all about the well, all about the herds, all about the family, all about the temporal stuff. In fact, his plan... now. We're going to talk about this at the end here in just a few minutes, but basically his plan for knowing God's will was opposition. He'd move somewhere, and, and if like, okay, if opposition arose, okay, I'm going to move. That was just kind of the way he went through life. And God used that, by the way, and God will use it in our life. But it seems like something here has changed. Now his relationship with God is put first, and the temporary things come last. It's just like Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God. I'll add all the rest of that stuff to you. Build the altar. Call on my name. I'll add the well. I'll add the tent. I'll add all those other things you need. Put me first. And it seems like finally in Isaac's life, he's seeing that and doing that. How do we also know he's in the right place? We get a second. Not only has God come to him that night, Abimelech comes to him as well. Something has changed in Isaac's life so that even the world sees it. Okay? Listen, before he's blessed of God and he's prospering, and they're what? They're envious and they send him away. Now they're going to come to him and want to make a treaty with him. Okay? So why would they do that? What's the change there? Because I think even they can tell that something has changed in his life. Look at verses 26 to 29. So when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath his advisor and Phicol the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly, we see plainly that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done nothing to you, but good and have sent you away in peace. Now, here's the statement. They say this, You are now the blessed of the Lord. See, they see it's not Abraham anymore. See, before they understood it was Abraham that God was with. And now they say it's you, Isaac. You are now the promises. Even they can tell that the blessings are on him. And you see, I think that now that his priorities have changed... I think the blessings on his life are evident not only to him and his immediate people around him, but even those on the outside. I think they understood that the covenant that God had with Abraham is uh, even the Philistines know that it's been passed on to his son. So Isaac, he's in the right place. This is where God wanted him all along was in Beersheba. First God spoke and confirmed it. Then even his enemies come and make a treaty with him. And there's one more thing that's going to confirm it. And that is the witness of the well. Look at verse 30 to 33. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. And in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. And that same day, that same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug and said to him, We have found water. And he called it Sheba, which means oath. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. You see... What had always been his first concern, water, is now his last concern, but then God just takes care of it for him. Right? See, this is just God being God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'll take care of all those things. I'll take care of the water. I'll take care of your enemies. I'll take care of... Put me first. And now that Isaac's doing it, God confirms you're in the right place, and here's the well. Okay, listen, water is still essential for survival in that day. God knows that. God absolutely knows that. Listen, we, you and I need to mark it well. The place of God's present is also the place of God's provision. All right, so I got a little testimony. I was debating whether to tell you this, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you it. So, um, so I'm building a, a pole barn at the house, right? and uh any of y'all ever built one so i i get the price and everything and i have to make a decision <laughs> whether or not i'm going to do a permit because they want a lot of money i got to buy a set of plans it's just a long story but just trust me it's expensive to get the permit so i've decided i'm not going to get a permit i'm just going to throw this thing up and uh so i'm 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 not feeling quite right about it so i call scooter one day and i'm talking to him and I'm like, Scooter, and really, this is how spiritual I am. I called Scooter to say, what are the chances of me getting caught? That's why I called him. I didn't say, talk me out of it. It wasn't an accountability thing. I just, basically, I was thinking, I said, Scooter, what's the odds of me getting caught here? So, huh? Look, Listen, is it going to be visible? Can anybody see it? Yeah, those are all the questions I've asked, right? It's So here's the thing, I'm talking to Scooter, and I remember the sermon that I preached, Make the right choices. Make the right choices. Make the right choices. Put me first. Don't worry about, why are you worrying about money? Why are you worried about extra costs? Why are you worried about, temp? put me first? How would it look if you get up, now listen, they're not going to put my mug shot in the wall cool of the news, right? I get that. But how does it look for somebody to get up and preach, and then somebody from the building department comes in and says, oh, that's the guy that didn't get a permit. Right? Oh, yeah, you really mean all that stuff. Put God first. Do the right thing. I didn't want to do the right thing. I, can I be honest with you? I wanted to do it without a permit. So I finally said, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'll do the permit. and, and I, So I did all the stuff right, you know, and did everything right, and it was all this extra money. No big deal. So we got it all done, and we're moving in that direction. Uh, Friday, I'm sitting at my desk, and I get a text and my boss says, did you get your bonus? And I said, what bonus? Because I wouldn't do any kind of bonus. And he said, uh, we put you in for something extra. So I texted Kathy and I said, did I get a bonus? And she looked in the bank and she said, yeah. And I, I, it, I, she, I said, how much? Anyway, it was enough to pay for the pole barn. All right. Now, is that God? You decide, right? Point is just do the right thing. Right? Put relationships ahead of your rights or whatever you think your rights are. Put your relationships I've started to ask questions and I listen, I'm not perfect. When I went to that when I went down to get that permit, everything in me, I I I got this thing about anyway, I just I was just like, man, I gotta write this check, and you know, I'm trying to write it, and it's like, oh, I just don't want to write that amount in there, you know. And, but I've, I've tried to start thinking now, what if that girl comes to church next Sunday? What if, what if the girl at the checkout that we, we're in a bad mood and we're rude? Are you with me? Listen, I'm not perfect by any means. I mess up all the time. But if we'd start asking that question, and do the right thing, regardless of how we feel, just do the right thing, because that person may show up at church next Sunday. That person may be, a, I don't know, are you with me? Anyway, see, that's, I think this is what Isaac is doing. He's putting God first. He's building the altar. He's calling on the name of the Lord. And the very same day they leave, they come up and say, you got a well. Found water. Everything's worked out. Everything's worked out fine. So, again, put God first. Look at... Um, uh, verse six and seven again. Well, all right, sorry, I went way back right there. While well, I'm just talking about my, while well, I'm talking about my long, long, long story, I'm right, moving, 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 moving. We got to the well. Okay. Um, okay. Now, at this point in his life, things are good, right? Things are good. Boy, he's at the right place where God wants him to be. He's got a treaty with his enemies. He's got uh, he's got a well to feed uh, water all his cattle and all that kind of stuff. But Job said this, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. And that would absolutely be true for Isaac. Look at verse 34 and 35, and this kind of sets the backdrop for next week. And I'm going to be honest with you, next week we walk into an absolute soap opera. Next week we will walk into an absolute soap opera. They couldn't write a soap opera that was any more dramatic than what these people have going on in their life. Verses 34 and 35, When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. So he marries two Canaanite women, not just one, but two. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now, there's a few lessons here for us. And and again, like I said, that verse kind of really should be in, to me, should be in chapter 27 because it kind of sets the stage for that whole chapter. But as as we leave chapter 26, it really should kind of help us realize something. Listen, even when we are right with God, and listen to me, even when we are right with God, even when we are in the exact right place that God wants us to be, we're still going to have troubles. That's, I mean, the Bible's full of it. Job said it, Jesus said it. In this life, you will have tribulations. Even when we're right with God, even when we're in the exact place that we need to be, stuff just happens, right? Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but they don't destroy us. He's going to deliver us out of them, right? They, we get knocked down, Paul says, but we get back up, right? These are, but we are going to have trouble. I want to make two quick applications from chapter 26 before we leave. Um, and I think there's two here. Number one is guidance. We've talked a lot about this uh, a while back when um, Abraham sent his servant uh, to go find a wife for Isaac, which ended up being Rebecca. So we won't we won't rehash all of that. But let me just say a couple things about guidance. This chapter really underscores two ways that we can receive guidance. A- and number one is just there are people who live their whole lives by what I would call providence. They don't really spend a lot of time in prayer. They don't spend a lot of time seeking God's will. They just kind of, like, I, I, in my mind, it's like a pinball machine. You, you, you know, you go over here, boing, and you go over here, boing, and you go over there. Are you with me? It's just trouble to trouble, circumstance to circumstance. They're just, well, you know, God didn't want me there. I must be, need to be over here. I call that living by or being guided by providence, Okay. By the way, God can use that, and God will use that. Like I said, there's not probably one of us in here that ha- God hasn't moved us from where we are through adversity and opposition. But I can tell you that God wants us first and foremost to walk by principle. Make, mainly, kind of like with that pole barn, just doing the right thing. If, they, if there's a law, obey it. You may not like it, you may think it's stupid, you th- you, all that stuff, that's fine, but if there's a law, obey it. Live by principle. That's what God wants us to do. Not by providence. Because we live by principle, that is when we walk closest with God. There's there's an intimacy there that we can have with Him. But let me tell you, when you walk by providence, listen, you'll get where you need to go. God will kind of move you along. But let me tell you, there's little joy and there's little intimacy in that system. You're just like a pinball, just bouncing from circumstance to circumstance. Kind of like Isaac did... for for a long time. The second thing here I think that we should take out of here is is something to do with parenting. When you you read this chapter, you just cannot help how striking it is that every time Isaac fell into a situation, he did exactly what his, his father did. Now listen, as I said, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, but I think if you're here as a parent, there are some real truths in this chapter for you and i number one we need to create footsteps that we would want our children to walk in if if you're you know when we're going through life you know i've got my son and he's got two little ones and when you're at that age you're not thinking every day well i'm creating footsteps right that's not on your mind but that's exactly what you're doing i often say when i got married nobody handed me a manual and said this is how to be a husband when I left the hospital, nobody handed us a manual and said, this is how you're to be a father. I basically, all I knew was to model what had been modeled for me. Right? That's all I knew how to be a husband was what I had seen in my home. Only way I knew to be a father was what I had seen in my home. Okay? And I had to overcome a lot of that. Trust me. I, and I and I did. But we, that's a joke. That's a joke. Okay? Um, but we need to be creating footsteps that we want our children to, to walk on. By the way, if you're a Christian and, you, and you, you want your children obviously to be Christians, they have to walk in your footsteps, don't they? In other words, they have to start where you start. They have to, they have to come to a faith in Jesus Christ, just like we did. And, and so we, they have to believe on their, on their own. They've got to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They have to grow and mature in the Lord just like we did, which really brings us to another truth, which I think is probably the most important. They have to be allowed to make mistakes and endure troubles. Because listen, every one of you, you're really who you are today, not so much because of the good things, but because of the opposition and the afflictions and the trouble that you've gone through. It's made you into who you are as a Christian, where your children are no different. They have to... We live in an age now where they call them helicopter parents, right? Where everybody wants to, like, put a bubble around their kids, and we're raising up these kids that have no idea how to, do, how to deal with adversity. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let your kids fail. Let your kids go through things, because not only it, it, step outside the Bible... That just is going to make them a better person. But inside the Bible, it's adversity and things like God took Isaac through that grow you toward where God wants you to be. We cannot keep them away from that. We have to let them go through that because their, their Christian faith is only going to become more mature uh, and they're going to trust in God as they go through those things. Uh, next week, as we said, we'll turn to Genesis 27. Uh, the next few chapters are a roller coaster. Um, I, again, I was—I almost named uh, next week. I, I called it uh, "As the Bible Turns" or something like that, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm reading this. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me, man! They can't write any soap opera that could be any more dramatic than what these uh, what these people are doing. We're going to meet four people, four people next week that you're not going to like any any of them. None of them. You, there's not like one say, "Well, I really I hope that guy." You know how we, we watch a TV show? We are—is are, there some guy you pull for? or Some no, there's nobody to pull for. These are all, they're just not nice people at all. And you're just thinking, but God is right in the middle of it. God is moving, and we're going to learn some, uh, we're going to have fun, I think, looking at it, but we're going to learn some profound truths from how God works through that situation.